Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. So we know that bees are critical to the environment, but do we really appreciate just how critical? And we know we have been seeing bee populations declining the last couple of decades. What happens if we lose bees completely? It's not real pretty. For this conversation, we caught up with Dr. John Gelhouse. He is a professor in the Biodiversity, Earth, and Environmental Science Department at Drexel University, also curator of entomology at the Academy of Natural Sciences of Drexel University. I know for a lot of years, we've heard a lot of people sounding the alarm about the decline in the bee population. And I know me personally, anecdotally, I feel like I haven't heard that as much the last few years. What is the state? of the bee population right now. Has the fall been arrested? Is it steady? Is it actually coming back? Where are we? Actually, to start out, we've, we're probably talking about two different groups of bees. So number one is the honeybee, which is a domesticated insect, basically, um, came to North America with the European colonists. And so that's, kind of our workhorse in particularly agricultural situations. And the honeybee has undergone some pretty serious declines over the last couple decades. One is the colony collapse disorder. That's one of the main issues with the honeybee. But there's a whole other thing when we say bees, and that's All of the other bees that are around us and doing the things that bees do. And so most of those are native bees. So those are species that have always been here in North America that weren't brought by human activity. And those for Pennsylvania alone, that's over 400 species of native bees. When we say bees, We have kind of two different things that we can be talking about because both of them, both of those groups, the honeybee and the native bees, have undergone declines and worrisome declines. So anyway, that's, in my perspective, kind of lays out where we are with those two groups. Now, for the honeybees, uh, colony collapse disorder, the colonies managed by people we're, we're not making it uh, through the winter. We're collapsing, basically, and dying out. So that was something that really appeared to be evident. And uh, like I said, the last couple decades, it appears to have moderated somewhat in the last few years, as far as what I've been able to read. Um, but it's, it's still an issue. And we don't, as far as I know, Researchers have not been able to pin down exact reasons why honeybees um, were going through this, you know, collapse. But it was it it was severe. It really affected people that uh, maintain these bees and was a, and was a big concern. And so the thought is maybe uh, I mean right now the thought is there are probably multiple reasons. You can think of it as multiple stressors 
on those colonies. Over, and one of them is, are these mites, little mites that um, are also, um, were not something the honeybees were necessarily adapted to that have, that are in the colonies and can cause real major destruction. The other is we have a new class, kind of a new class of insecticides called neonicotinoids. Those were thought maybe to, because those are carried throughout the plant, including in the nectar. So they were thought maybe their bees are being impacted by those insecticides. Bees are moved around a lot. Honeybees are for agriculture. Uh, maybe there were problems with nutrition, but it was it's thought maybe this was a multitude of stresses. And then at a certain point, the hive just can't manage all those stresses and was collapsing. So that's kind of that's kind of the main issue with the honeybees. Uh, are and these are domestic uh, domesticated bees, although there are wild colonies, what we call feral colonies, but uh, for the most part are domesticated bees. Now to go into the native bees, they're also facing issues. And the native bees can be important in agricultural situations, but in general, they're very important in our overall biodiversity because of the pollination that they do for a wide variety of plants. And some of those bees have, from where we've been able to monitor, have undergone severe declines. And I'm really talking here about bumblebees. And so there are several species of bumblebees that have undergone really major population decreases to the point that one of them uh, was put on the endangered species list a few years ago, the rusty patched bumblebee. And if we look, uh, if you look at a map of where that species used to occur, which was all over the Northeast into the North Central region of the country, many records all throughout that. In the last 20 years, it's almost, it's pretty much gone from the Northeast entirely and is only holding on in some North Central states. And so because of that fast decline, the bee was put on the endangered species list. And there are some other bumblebees that are also undergoing declines. In this case, these are not managed bees. These are bees living in the wild. We don't have a clear idea what's going on with those declines. So that's where when we something goes on endangered species list, we um, um, research and management plans are put into place, but particularly a lot of research attention to try to figure what the problem is so that we don't lose that species and possibly that research can help us um, protect uh, other related bee species. You mentioned pollination, you mentioned farming, you know, bees kind of on both sides. How much of a kind of a linchpin are they when it comes to our ecosystem? Like, are they really kind of an inflection point in everything happening as it's supposed to happen? Well, again, we can look at it very much to us, you know, very much centered to our needs 
And in that case, um, honeybees and other bees, but particularly honeybees because they're used in agriculture, are essential for pollination of much of the food that we eat is based on bee pollination. Um, and so these, so um, if we think of almost all of our fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, oils are all derived from plants that require pollination um, and, um, and honeybees and some other native bees are used in that. Um, others like forage for uh, livestock like alfalfa is again, these are all things that require pollination to maintain those crops. And so that I've seen various estimates, but it certainly goes to the hundreds of billions of dollars a year in, in what we can call ecosystem services or those pollination services, because those are the value of those crops to us. And so to take away that would mean our food supply would be extremely limited or we would end up doing that pollination ourselves because there are other insects that pollinate, but none that can, that have the adaptations and have um, the specializations to pollinate those wide variety of plants. The bees are, as a group, have evolved in ways to, uh, with plants, to provide, you know, that pollination for the plants. And then the plants say, well, you do this for me. I'll give you some nectar. You could take some of that pollen and for feeding your young. And then the bee moves that pollen from flower to flower. So it works very well for plants. Um, very efficient, kind of a targeted pollination for the plants. And there are other insects that do pollination, but there are none that can really take up the slack if we lose um, the, the bees, the honeybees. Now, if we go to, let's put us not so much in the center, but in general, our overall biodiversity, the native bees are extremely essential for maintaining all of, uh, most of the vegetation that we look at around us you know, the trees and the plants and such like that, they, they, and all of the products that derive from that. So all of the fruits that we're maybe not eating, but the rest of the birds and other animals are feeding on maintaining the forest, the, the seed crop for some of the trees, some of the understory plants and things like that. There's so, so many plants that are dependent on bees for pollination to be able to set their seed and to develop the next generation. So without bees, say there was some disease that seemed to hit the whole group of bees, we would very quickly turn into a very different looking kind of earth um, in that sense. There would, there would really be plants that are only wind pollinated. So, or those that 
other insects could pollinate, but we'd have so much fewer that would be maintained beyond that. So I want to kind of war game this out, for lack of a better term. You talk about a much different Earth. Let's say that catastrophic event with bees happens. You know, how long does it take before we really feel those vegetation effects? Is it immediate? Would it be like the next growing season? And, you know, what would be kind of the first wave of problems we would see? Well, if we're looking at crops, we'd be seeing problems right away, right? Because we rely every year on those those crops being produced. And so unless we found some technological way or we're doing it ourselves, going around every flower and moving pollen, um, immediately our food supply would be affected. If we look into generally into the environment in all of biodiversity, um, we would, again, the fruiting would drop for those plants that rely on bees to pollinate. Okay, so all of the um, animals that rely on the seeds and fruits to survive, many of the birds, for example, to put it that way, uh, some mammals, um, there are insects that feed on fruits and seeds and such. All of those would undergo severe declines as all of that production drops within very quickly, within a season or two. Okay. And just thinking about it, the vegetation, the perennials, the trees, the shrubs, the plants that come back year after year would continue to grow through their life cycle but they wouldn't be setting any fruit. So they wouldn't be replacing themselves. So over time, as they die out, we'd be replaced with plants that are wind pollinated that aren't necessarily requiring bees. And some of the plants that are wind pollinated, bees do go and visit the, usually the flowers are pretty inconspicuous. So when we think about those things, we think about trees, uh, like uh, pines and, um, you know, pines and cedars and things like that. Those are wind pollinated. Um, some of our trees like maples, they, some bees will, their flowers are pretty inconspicuous. Some are more wind pollinated than others. So things like that. And then the grasses, a lot of the grasses are wind pollinated. And so those those are all going to increase um, because the other plants will start to die out and not be replaced. And so they will start to increase. And so then when we think about that, let's think about what causes our allergy problems. A lot of times it's wind pollen. Okay. It's not. People think, you know, they'll go, oh, that goldenrod. Well, no, goldenrod is is a bright yellow flower for insects to be attracted to, to be pollinated. But it's those that have, we don't really think of them as has flowers like grasses and such. They're throwing the pollen to the wind. And that's the stuff that gives some of us allergy, you know, or give us suffering from allergies. So that's going to increase. Um, so we may be relying on our food more on, just eating grains. <laughs> um, and because even 
uh, even things we don't eat fruits like leafy vegetables, we still need the seed to grow the next crop, right? And how is the seed, you know, that's a pollinated thing for the most part. So we, we'd be, we'd be in real, it, it would just be such a changed world. And the biodiversity would be so much less because of all the things that rely on the products from those pollination uh, would just, would be gone very quickly. Yeah, that was kind of my next question. I would imagine we would just see extinctions across, yeah. if not across the board, kind of all over the place. And it would, it sounds like listening to you, it is not something that would take a generation. It would be something that in a couple of years would be like, oh, well, that's gone. Oh, right. that's gone. It would, it would really be that quick. Yes. And we've, you know, we've seen that in, in diseases and introduced pests that have come in and decimated uh, certain species of tree. Right now, it's the ash trees and the emerald ash borer. A century ago, it was our American chestnuts and such were just entirely lost. Um, and so, yeah, you you would get these what we would we call extinction cascades. Basically, things species that are very dependent on another species. Once that that host species is gone then you get a cascade effect on everything else that was dependent on it. And, you know, for birds, usually they're, let's say just for birds, they're not necessarily dependent on one species of plant, but they may be dependent uh, for, you know, so they may be feeding on fruits at certain times of the year. Those might be critical. And if those aren't there, they can't make it through that period of time. And then for a lot of birds in the, when they're nesting or our bird songbirds around here, when they're nesting, they're feeding a lot of their young on insects that are feeding on the plants. So if we're seeing reduction of those insect populations because of the decline in plants, um, the birds are just put it in bird form. The birds are getting hit in multiple ways. It just couldn't sustain that. So we'd, we'll, we'd have a complete loss of so many species within a very short period of time. And I mean, obviously we're talking food shortages, so we would see the human population. There would be a significant population decline just because of lack of nutrition, but then civil strife, you'd have, I would imagine we could game this out where we see world wars for food and stuff like, I mean, we're talking pretty and it's amazing, not amazing, but you kind of deconstruct it all back to bees. It's really fascinating when you kind of look at it in that kind of the chain. Yeah, bees, uh, it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, we talk about something called ecosystem services and pollination is one of those. And it, bees are just the, best adapted for doing that. That has been a specialization of the bees throughout their long evolutionary history. They have, we, we talk about co-evolution with plants because there are bees that are specialized on pollinating just one or a few species of plants, some native bees. That's, that's what they do. They time themselves to be uh, around when those plants are flowering and then they're done 
for the year. So we get a, we see a lot of that specialization. We also see some very generalist pollinators like the honeybee, for example. Uh, but it's an incredible system that, as you've said, you know, we kind of we kind of take for granted and and have and and really when we think about bees, we you know, if you talk about people about bees, oftentimes what they'll think about is honey which is great. Honey's a great product, but it's such a small proportion of the importance the bees have to us, which is the pollination. And that is often what we take for granted. And probably the attention play, paid on honeybees for colony collapse disorder and on the bumblebees um, has been important for people to start to really think about how important pollination is and how important this group of insects is. If there were to be a catastrophe with the bees, you mentioned other insects that can pollinate. Is there a, and it would be way down the list, it would be number one, number two, but is, what would be number two that uh, the world would turn its lonely eyes to? Would Is there something we could, another insect we could look to that has some of the tools that if we could push, it could, help not fill the role, but at least lessen the impact? Wow. Um, I'm uh, yeah, there were some others. There are actually wasps that visit flowers um, and have, they don't have the specialized structures for collecting pollen, but just by moving by going from flower to flower, they'll tend to move pollen on their body from flower to flower. So I'm, I'm thinking that might be one. Um, I actually study flies, so I should be talking about flies. And flies are important, and particularly in, like in really north, uh, northern regions like the Arctic, flies, are, flies and bumblebees are really the most important because they're, they can be active during the kind of those days, which are, uh, you know, kind of colder and such like that. But flies generally don't, um, can't access a lot of the specialized flowers that are specialized for bees. So they can, they can access, you know, kind of open, like a daisy type flower. They'll visit those kind of things, a sunflower and things like that. So they can do some of that and they'll visit and they'll carry on their bodies kind of inadvertently. They're not collecting the pollen like some bees do, but they'll carry it around too. And then we have butterflies and moths um, who will go after the nectar again for some species. The plant will have mechanisms for pollen to be attached to the butterfly or the moth, and then it goes and visits another flower and the pollen is transferred that way. But again, not having those specialized structures for collecting the pollen like bees do. So there might, you know, in our crops, there might be some flowers that still could be pollinated by insects, but there will be others that are, as I said, the structure is has evolved to allow bees in and not other insects because the plant is 
playing a game saying, I'll give up pollen, but I don't want to give it up to the whole neighborhood. <laughs> I'm just going to give it up to the one that's actually going to do the work. And so the, the, the flowers have evolved in shapes and such that a bee can push its way in, um, but other insects can't. And so they, the other insects can't tap into the pollen or the nectar, which is often the reward for other insects. They, they're going after that um, sugary nectar. So it would be tough. I don't really see any group um, really taking over from bees. Uh, there will be some that will do some of the pollination, but it's not, it won't be very efficient. Let's put it that way. Is there any other, I mean, I know every link in a biodiversity chain is, is fragile and, and necessary, but it really does seem like bees just have this, this pivot point where it all kind of falls apart. Is there anything that has that much pull that we should be worried about that could collapse the whole thing if it went away? We have so many we, we do have so many environmental concerns, uh, but what, I mean, one of our things that we just don't have a lot of research on is how some of these systems are operating and just monitoring what, what is a healthy system in a sense. So, you know, one thing to, uh, I'll just put out, it's, I'm, I don't know that it's what, in a sense, what you're talking about, the linchpin or whatever, but we can think about our soil environment, for example. And when I think about soil, I think about insects and converting all that plant material that drops on the ground and breaking that down and forming soil and, um, you know, and nutrients and making those available to the plants again and all the other things. There's a whole lot going on there in a relationship with insects, with the fungi and the bacteria, with other invertebrates um, and such that we, we're not, we're just starting to get a handle on. And um, fun, fungi, um, and this speaking from an insect person, so I'm gonna, you know, but we don't think a lot about fungi except maybe the mushrooms that we buy in the grocery store, but there's, we're finding out there's all these kinds of relationships with fungi and plants. We call it mycorrhizae fungi that live in association with plant roots in the soil. And that probably there's a lot of mutual benefits between the plants and the fungi and we're only starting to get some kind of idea how important those relationships are. And the same goes with fungi and insects as well. There's a lot of very close association with fungi and insects, sometimes in the negative, that is insects carry pathogenic fungi from tree to tree to kind of make things better for the insect to kill the tree so the, ins the insect can live in there. But then there are other associations as well that are probably more mutually uh, benefit for different things that aren't just pathogenic. Anyway, 
I don't know. I, I mean, it's a great question. And it's a great question to really be thinking about in the future because we don't want to be caught um, totally unaware. And what we're finding is that the pace of our of our world now, the global economy, the movement of stuff all over and how quickly that comes, we're moving species around all the time. And sometimes these have had disastrous effects. Sometimes it's, um, you know, it's an animal or plant species. Sometimes it's a microbe that infects um, uh, what we think of as an important species and, um, and just devastates. And we don't have a way of getting on top of that quickly. And oftentimes the uh, whole collapse happens, like in the case of the American chestnut or what we're seeing with our native ash trees right now. So I think that is something we need to pay a lot more focus on is this is our global trade and our movement of species around because that is going to lay the ground for some other devastations that um, will happen, catastrophes. And my final question, I think you mentioned that we could pollinate. Would it be possible if we found ourselves in a situation where bees were devastated? Could Is there a technological answer that we could ramp up and maybe not completely fill the void, but be able to stave off catastrophe? Well, I hate to give us that. <laughs> I hate to give us that out because we always want to do that, right? Okay, we're not going to worry about the big problem because mm -hmm. we got this. But um, I teach conservation biology. And one of the things we, we talk about there is the economic value of biodiversity, just to have biodiversity. And one of the things, that, one of the examples in, in the materials is a story about an area in China where the bees were killed off, maybe because of over pesticides. And people then were having to go and hand pollinate their fruit trees and up in the trees and moving pollen from flower to flower and flower. So it, yes, it could be done, but at what cost? And will we, the people want, you know, mm -hmm. so there's that. Now, is there a technological advance? Um, right now, no. Um, but, you know, we have, uh, people looking at smaller and smaller robotic systems, and this isn't my area, but I have a student in my entomology class right now who's an engineer and just talked about some thinking about how insect flight can be adapted to mini robotics kind of thing. So that could be something in the future that we'd have little small mechanical pollinators in a sense that could go from flower to flower um, and do that, that work. Um, but when we think about it, if we can understand how to sustain the bees, we don't have to go that route. Plus the benefits of having a healthy bee population, honeybee, 
domesticated honeybee and the native bees is so much greater than just having a a small little um, little drone in a sense for pollinating one crop, maybe almonds or something like that. So it's possible, I would think, I think, but it will come at a great cost. And I, and there would be, let's put it this way, I think there'd be a long period of really tough times before the technology would get to the point where you can have the wide variety of crops pollinated that bees are already doing for us. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>